0: We've been um, on a kind of a loose path, but on a path as we've been looking at different things in Scripture. We talked about remembering to remember. That was one of our things, that in the Old Testament they set up altars of remembrance to remember. And so I I took a little shot of a stacked up piece of rocks and put it on my phone. And it reminds me every time it clicks on, oh yeah, remember to remember. God's been good. He's been faithful. He's seen you through. He's helped you out. Because when we don't remember, we go back through the same anxiety and worry over and over and over and over again. Because testings and trials just seem to be part of the broken world. And so you run into something and you're all anxious and and fearful. And you think, man, he's been good to me a hundred times. And let's just trust him. He's going to be faithful again. So remember to remember. And then we talked about how we can't stay here. Now, obviously, if your life's, you know, in a wreck, one of the benefits of of Psalm 103 says, don't forget this benefit. He redeems our life from the pit. Okay? So he redeems our life from the pit. you feel like your life's in the pit, uh, then, you know, just remember that benefit. You can't stay here. And so we see that when we say, your life's a mess. You know, you can't stay there. You need to go somewhere. But your life may be wonderful. And I still want to tell you, you can't stay here. you got to keep moving on. There's more of God to see. There's more of God to know. There's more, there's more victories to have in him. So you keep moving on. Let me talk about where are we going. Well, I think the primary place where we're going is towards maturity in our relationship with Jesus. And our, our maturity as, as a person and as a family, our, our families, And as a church family, it's very critical. And sometimes, I'm going to say probably a lot of people, they say, you know, I'm not really offended by Jesus. I I like Jesus. He's a pretty nice guy. In fact, you'll find out almost everybody has no problem with Jesus. Now, oftentimes, it's the Jesus they imagine he is, not the real one in the scripture, but they, you know, this warm, cuddly guy. And so they don't have problems with Jesus. But he's going to be somewhere on 5th, 6th, 12th, 15th on their agenda and as we say, hold on a I'm going to grow, I'm going to mature, I need to bump him up to the top of the list, because everything flows out of our spiritual lives. That's why the scriptures tell us this, guard your heart, and when it says heart, it's not talking about a muscle in your chest that's pumping blood, it's talking about your spirit being. Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. And so I want you to prioritize your spiritual life. And you say, well, i got other things I want to prioritize. If you'll prioritize your spiritual life, everything else will fall into place. And and we'll see that in a little bit. And so now we're going to talk about, you know, okay, where are we going? Well, how how are we going to get there? So we're going to deal with some of these things today. And I hope it's a a real wonderful time of learning and growing in God today. Uh, Where are we going? We're We're going in growth and maturity in the Lord. And so the ultimate goal is this. There's something called the shorter Westminster Catechism. Now, catechism, um, it's not to be confused with catacombs, catechism is a teaching method. You say, here's the the question, and here's the answer. Here's the question, here's the answer. Here's the question, here's the answer. And so it's a method of learning, a catechism. Well, here's one of the statements in the catechism. It's number one on it. it. In the old English style, it says this, what's the chief end of man? So, some people, are, oh, what's that mean? Okay, it means this. What's the ultimate goal of a person? What is the ultimate goal of a person? To glorify God. Did you ever think about that? The ultimate goal of your life is to glorify God, and I love the rest of it too, and enjoy him forever. Amen. I want to clarify forever. Forever starts right now. It's not one day and sweet by and by, you know, we'll, we'll have a, you know, I'll enjoy God. No, you, you get to enjoy him right now, right now, this life. So how, how do we get there? We're going to focus on the things of God. There's an old saying that says this, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. Think about that. Isn't that true? If you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. We need to know where we're going. We need to decide where we're going to go. Now, I get it if you're on a little vacation, you just want to wander the back roads. That's okay, but when it comes to life, we need to know where we're going. There was um, a time, and I always... I don't know why it bothers me to some degree. It only bothers me if it comes across braggadocious, and I don't mean for it to. Uh, our family has got to travel a lot of places around the world at the, the benefit of, of um, the Lilly Endowment. Lilly Endowment is uh, part of the, the Lilly Pharmaceutical Company that they set aside something for Christian ministers to give them money to go rest and relax and travel and do some things in life and we've had a few of those and so our family's got to travel and we're not traveling because you know we're some high rollers and and if you're a high roller here today that's fine I'm not trying to put that down happy you're here today Uh, but it wasn't because oh my gosh what's that church pay them you know not that much I get get paid 500,000 a year and so I don't have the money you know to travel do you, you all don't believe that Okay, well, good, you're wise, so. But I do get compensated well, and I'm very happy with my compensation, but it's not the kind of compensation that most of us don't have a compensation where we're just jetting off to Paris and Rome and, and London all the time, and, and we got to do that on some of these things. So, we had the privilege of traveling, and, um, but sometimes when people talk about their traveling, it just gets braggadocious. I mean, you, I don't know if you've ever done it. You, you tell, you've got a friend like this, that they'll always one-up you. It doesn't matter. Maybe friend's too strong of a word, you know someone who always one-ups you. So if you say, uh, you know, we took our family to, to King's Island, had a wonderful time, that we took our family to Disney. Okay, well, you know, you had to one-up me. Then you say, we flew somewhere. Well, we flew first class. Then you say, we flew first class. Well, we, we got a private jet, we rented one of those. Well, I used to rent my private jet, too, until I bought my $80 million, you know, six, you know Gulfstream 650. So there's always like, and then somebody says, oh, you got the little Gulfstream 650? We went to the Boeing business jet. You know, there's always somebody up there. That's just going, they're going upstage you. are always something to brag about. So I don't like things that come across braggadocious, but I saw this thing about 20 years ago because all of us can relate to this, and I think this is wonderful. So why don't we bring the lights down, and we'll bring the lights down, and let's show this, this quick little video clip here and see if you know anybody like this.
1: That's why I have a social fantasy... I wish I was one of the twelve astronauts who have been on our moon. They must love knowing they can beat anybody's story, whenever they want. They can sit back quietly at a dinner party while some other person, some meat monster, is doing his thing and let him go, let him run with the line, while you be quiet. Oh, really? <laughs> But I him have his moment. Yeah, I'm a big traveler. I have my business all. i got my own global enterprise. i got to check. And, you know, driving in the Autobahn because I keep a fleet of sports cars over in Zurich. You know, there's a Swiss account that I am not to check it. Mount Kilimanjaro expedition. You might have to cancel that. You know, runway's an aspirin are a lot shorter the first time you go in there. You know, you the know, you know, like, Pacific Rim company. is going to try to take that over. And, you know, global enterprise. Global <laughs> 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 enterprise. <laughs> I walked on the moon. Well, you have the floor, moonwalker. (laughs) You know, you mentioned driving on the Autobahn, that reminded me. Once I was driving in the Sea of Tranquility (laughs) in my lunar rover. And I, too, was worried about our speed till I remembered, wait, we're the only ones on the moon!
0: (laughs) (laughs) that guy's insane. Uh There's always somebody like that, so we don't want to be like that. We uh, ended up on one of our trips in in Paris. Now, I just want to tell you this. I'm really not uneducated, but I am a person that doesn't speak French. You might have heard this. If you speak many languages, you're multilingual. If you speak two languages, you're bilingual. If you speak one language, you're American. And so that's me, you know, so I'm American. And so we're going to this little, it's a very popular tourist place in in Paris. But I'm telling you, this is how the first word is spelled. C-H-A-M-P-S. So if you just won a softball tournament, you are the... Champs, yeah. So, I got this little card to the hotel we're going to, and so I'm in the, the we're all in the cab, and, you know, I'm telling him, say, we, we, we want to go to Champs Elysee, and here's, you know, the name of the hotel. And the guy looks at me real strange. I said, we want to go to Champs Elysee, and, and he looks at me real strange again, so I, I, I hand him the card. Now, I don't know, but I can tell you, English and French is different, <laughs> because... He said, oh, Champs-Elysees. Champs-Elysees? How in the world do you get Champs-Elysees? It's probably still not saying it right. How do you get Champs-Elysees out of that? But that's what it was, and so he took us to our, our rightful place. And then we, there's a little daylight left, and so I asked the crew, I said, do you want to go to the Eiffel Tower? Oh, by the way, you want to look sharp? The French don't call it the Eiffel Tower. It's Eiffel. Eiffel. So if you hear somebody say, oh, well, you were in Paris, did you go to the Eiffel Tower? You go, oh. Oh, my, I used to say it that way, too. Uh, we went to the Eiffel Tower, or the Tour Eiffel, okay? So you can say that if you want to. And look like you really know what you're talking about. So it's the Eiffel Tower over there. And so anyway, so my mom is with us. She said, I don't want to go. Darlene says, I don't want to go. You know, not right then, anyway, because it's starting to get dark. So we and the three kids, we say, we're going to make it to the Eiffel Tower. And so we, we can see it. I've been up on the, I'm going to butcher this, but on the, Arc de Triomphe, or however they say it. And I could see, I remember looking out there from the Arc de Triomphe, and I'm looking out, and I thought it was interesting because the streets there were in what I would call, I don't know if it's a proper name, in a spoke pattern. So the streets kind of came into this one hub and just kept going out. Does that make sense? They're going out like a star or like a, a spoke on a wheel. And I thought that's interesting because ours is what I would call a grid system. You know, they're parallel this way and parallel this way. So we walk over there to the, the Eiffel Tower, and we go up in it, and we have a good time. And so we start walking home. It's it's like 11 o'clock at night, and we're walking until like midnight, and we're not finding the place. And uh, I don't know. Ignorance is bliss. We might have been in the hood in Paris. We didn't know. We're just walking along. And then there's one other memory I have, is for some reason, Cressa decides to drag her feet on every step. Everybody's going insane, except her. And... uh, we're like, oh, and then finally I see this map on, like, this train station, and I can figure out where we are, and I'm going, oh, my goodness. Uh, we're, like, up here. The Eiffel Tower's here, and our room is down here. I'm not sure how that happened. So I think, I don't have any money on me, which I, I never, hardly ever have any cash on me or anything. I don't even have my billfold on me. And so I think, oh, you know what? The, the cabs don't charge until you get done with the ride, so they won't know I'm broke until they drop me off at the place. So... We flagged down a cab, by this time it's 12 or 1 o'clock in the morning, we don't know where we've been, and uh, we flag down a cab, and the cab comes and picks us up, and, and, and I knew this is a bad sign. We're, we're walking this way, the cab's gone this way. We get in the cab, and the first thing he does is turns around like this. I said, that's a bad sign. And then he drives past the Eiffel Tower, I go, that's a bad sign. And then we arrive at the hotel. I don't know if he really liked it, when I said, I ain't got no money. Uh, but the bellhop there paid for it, and we paid the bellhop back. Uh, so. I realized, wow, we even knew where we wanted to go and couldn't find our way. And then I was thinking about that. I really mean this. There's a very deep spiritual truth here. No, No joking at all. I started thinking about that. Well, we knew where we wanted to go, but we couldn't find our way. I thought, oh, you know what? We were trying to do life in Paris the way you would do life in the United States. We were trying to operate with a different language. We were trying to operate with a different road system to find out where we wanted to go. You can't do that. How the roads work in the United States are not how the roads work in Paris. And so I thought about that. I thought, if if we're going to go to where we want to go spiritually and mature in the Lord, we have to use God's system. We have to use his method of doing things. And I just want to encourage you, because I haven't reminded you of this for a while. Christianity is spiritual. Christianity is supernatural. What we like to do, and myself included, because I'm kind of wired up this way, what we like to do is we like to sanitize and we like to just sterilize Christianity and turn it, from the realm of supernatural and spiritual into the realm of cerebral, intellectual, and academic. Now, I'm kind of wired up that way. That appeals to me. But I realize that although the kingdom of God and the principles of God are indeed spiritual, or they are indeed intelligent and cerebral and and academic and logical, I mean, God's brilliant, obviously, it's operating on a whole different level than our lowly level of how we think things ought to happen. So I want to get to a place where my life glorifies God and I enjoy him forever, but I have to use his system. And so I want us to latch on these set of verses and let them kind of marinate on us, you know, kind of give some flavor to our lives about how God does things. Because I don't mean to disappoint you, but you want to, and I do too, we want to serve God on our terms, the way we want to do it, how we want to do it, and we, under, we are confused why we aren't making progress in life, in our spiritual lives, because God has a kingdom that's different. God has principles that are different. Now, I get this. Let me tell you, there's a lot of similarities, and that confuses us, because guess what? In Paris, there were cars everywhere. In Paris, there were roads. In Paris, there were pedestrians. There were all those things, but they functioned differently than they did here. And so I have to say, hold I just stepped in. When you become a Christian, you step into a new kingdom. And now all of a sudden, you got to go, okay, how's this kingdom work? And I can promise you, if you don't If you step out of this realm of government and go to another country and live, you better learn how that country works. When I was about 20-something, there was a, a guy from the United States of America that was in some country, I forget where it was, and he was caught smoking dope. And do you know what smoking marijuana, the penalty was in that country? Death. And although we did everything to try to rescue him as a nation, they put him to death for smoking a joint. That's some good information to know. First of all, I just want to encourage you, quit smoking joints. But if you you do partake on occasion, you might want to find out before you get somewhere else what the rules are in that country. We got a basketball player, a female basketball player, spending a few years in prison. I don't know if they've worked that out yet, because I don't stay up with the news enough. For having some marijuana. So it's a good idea. You just stepped into a different kingdom. How's that kingdom work? When you became a Christian, you stepped into a different kingdom. And you need to figure out how's that kingdom work? So we're going to talk about that today. We're going to look at Matthew 6. We're just going to look at a few things, but I want this to really sink into us so we can change the trajectory of our life for good. It's for good. I just, I know you hear me say this a lot, but I'm confused when people think, man, you know, serving God. I mean, yes, I do believe there's a God and I do believe there's a heaven. If you've gotten that far, then then they say, "And, and so I do want to give my life to the Lord on my deathbed because I can't imagine anything good coming from serving the Lord here. So you're trying to live life and find joy in the world system of how to find it. And it'll give you some joy and some pleasure and some fun for a while, but I'm telling you, you end up dry, and you end up empty, and you end up hollow, and you end up trying to fix it. And I had a buddy who was sharing with a guy, and his life was struggling, but he was, he was a partier. He liked, you know, his, having his fun on the weekends, but he woke up every Sunday morning depleted of life and not enjoying life. So he calls him up one day and says, man, he said, I just need to talk to you because my buddy's been t- telling him about the Lord. And he said, I'm sitting here with a gun on my lap. And he said, I, I just... Don't know what to do. My buddy told him, said, Man, you need to give your life to the Lord. Now listen to his response. This guy's got a gun on his lap. He's thinking about taking his life. My buddy tells him, You need to give your life to the Lord. And he says to him, Give my life to the Lord. I've got too much living to do. Now, Now think about that. That we your life is so bad there's a gun. Either you're not serious that you really are in that situation, or you have zero understanding of how the kingdom of God works, the joy of the Lord, the peace of God, the glory of God, or you would definitely want to make that trade and put away the gun and pick up the word of God. So we're gonna look at this and see how the kingdom of God is counterintuitive to the world and how it works. So we're gonna look at Matthew 6. Matthew six thirty-one through 34, so do not worry. I will not ask the question for a show of hands but if I would ask, how many of you have worried lately? I would suspect about every hand would go up. We're, when we're going in with Darlene's having that surgery, there's two days of a barrage of testing that she has to pass every one of them. I, it's all, I said, I think... This might be why their success rate is so high, because they got to make sure you're healthy enough to receive the surgery. So they spend two days of broadsheet testing, and every test I thought, man, what if what if, what if she doesn't pass that one, or why she struggles with this? And then of course the COVID things out there. I thought, oh good lord, does one of us catch COVID? You know, and then we got ten days, we got to stay over there until all that clears, and all those things. So worry would try to creep in, in all different corners. You would have to stop and go, ah. and I would look at my little phone and I'd see that stack of bricks, and I'd say, remember to remember, God's good. God's faithful. God sees us through. So there's always a potential to worry. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Which are the three top components on any Sunday? Usually I have a search, where are we going to go eat? Now, I'm now, not a problem figuring out where you're going to go eat, but don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. where you are you going to eat? What, what are you going to drink? Imagine there's bedrooms strewn full of clothes right now because you were worrying about what you were going to wear. I think to myself, I'll say, ah, I wonder what I wore last week. You know, I hate to wear the same thing over and over and over again. Then I say to myself, I figure if I can't remember what I wore last week, maybe nobody else can remember what I wore last week. So I just throw something on and go to church. And you look at me and say, that's what I thought. <laughs> that was your style of getting ready for church? Just throw something on and go to church. So let's see. Don't worry. What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? for the? What's the next word? For the pagans... Pagans are unbelievers. The godless. I want to tell you this. You probably have some godless people, you know, who are super nice, wonderful people. So I don't want you to throw, oh, godless, they're, you know, they're like you know, sex traffickers and, and drug dealers. And No, there's godless people that you work around, they have no thought for God, may not even believe there's God, and there's some of the nicest people you know, so I'm not trying to make them sound awful. God's just saying, there's a whole group of people out there called pagans or unbelievers or the godless they live on a totally different system that I want you to live on so this is why he's trying to tell them and so I'm going to teach you a system that works now if you believe in God God's the creator of life it makes sense that the person that created life would know how life works if somebody made you something and you needed to fix it it would be nice to go to the maker and say how did you do this, how does this thing work they would have the best information God created life. And so it said, the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Now there's a very insightful phrase right there, half a sentence I want to pass along, which I do every time we're on this topic, because there is Christian teaching out there, you shouldn't want anything. You know, you you've thankless people. You have eternal life, and you're wanting to upgrade your car, you're wanting to take a vacation, you're wanting to do that. You, you only need to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Well, first of all, we do need to seek first the kingdom. But you notice it did not say seek only. So, do you want a better job? That's fine. It doesn't need to be your top priority. Jesus does. Do you want a better health? Do you want, is there something you would like to own or have or somewhere you would like to go? There's nothing wrong with that. You don't have to seek only. You seek first the kingdom of God. And you know these things like, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? Where are we going to go? Where are we going to work? All of that. Look what the Bible says. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He doesn't rebuke us and say, how dare you? You know, want to upgrade your life somehow. No, God knows you need them. But he says, I'm going to give you an alternate way of doing life. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things. Things will be given to you as well. Now, not even being spiritual, just understanding the flow of the logic of the paragraph we're reading there. If you pause and say, "What things is he talking about?" The obvious answer is the things the godless are seeking after. The things the godless are seeking after. The Father knows that you need them, and if you'll seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, He will give you those things as well. Guess what the godless have? They may succeed. At seeking after all the things they have, so they got all these things of life, but they don't have God. You can seek after God, have God, and have those things. That's a better deal. There was a guy who was a rich farmer in the Bible, and he apparently had succeeded so well that one day he looks and he goes, "Ah, oh, I got another bumper crop this year. I don't know what I'm going to do with all this abundance. I have so much abundance. What will I do?" And he said, "I know what I'll do. This is how the world thinks." I know what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And I will store up all those goods for myself. And then I will say to myself, eat, drink, and be merry. Take it easy. You have goods laid up for many years. And the Lord said, you fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. And then who shall have all those things that you spent all your life acquiring? And listen to this phrase. It didn't say there was anything wrong with being rich. It really didn't. It says, this is how it will be for everyone who is not rich towards God. Not rich towards God. So there's a richness we can have in God that is amazing. And then when we look out, and I hope this is our testimony, everyone, us, we look out and say, I've had another bumper year. I've increased. What shall I do? We say... To ourselves, I know what I will do. I will share it. I will give it. I will seed it. I will sow it. I'll help people. I'll help people. Darlene and I remember what it was like to have a family and have no money left over at the end of the month. I don't know if you've ever been there or not. And if you haven't, praise God, but most of us were. And so I always have told Darlene, I want to help young families. I know what it was like to have a little extra money. I know what it was like if somebody would give us a little sum and go, oh, you know, thank God, you know, we're going to make it. And that's what we need to do. I have abundance here. What am I going to do? How about you help people with it? How about you give some away? How about you share a little? That's what you do. Now, our country, our system, I'm not trying to be political here. I'm just talking about how life works. We think, well, I think the government ought to do all that. That's not God's system. God's system is we should do something about it. The Bible says, you've been stealing, you should steal no more. It doesn't say, you've been stealing, well, how about you get a subsidy from the government? No, it says, you've been stealing, steal no more. Do something useful with your hands, so that you may have something to share with others. I know, it's a crazy principle, isn't it? That we actually not be greedy and store up, and we give. So, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself, Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is a biblical truth. The world has an economic and success system. And so does God. I want to encourage you to find out what God's system is and use it. Let me give you another little insight from Jesus. He said, hmm. He tells this parable of this shrewd servant. And by the way, he's not promoting the shrewd servant's dealings, but he does make an observation Jesus says, I see something. I see that the people of this world are more skilled in how their system works than how the people of God are in how their system works. And so the shrewd manager figured out how to make things happen because he understood his system. And God said, I want you to understand my system. And God says, if you understand my system, then you'll be rich spiritually and can enjoy the blessings of life. So there's this economic system that God has. I want to tell you something about the economic system of God. There is no recession. There isn't. There's no depression. There's no lack. You say, well, Tracy, I was watching the news, and, and, and there's, we've had recessions. We have. I just say, the world can go on and have a recession if it wants to. I just don't want to participate. You say, well, well, that sounds a I just say, no, I want to tap God's system. I'll let you in some more insights. The media purpose is to get you all excited and amped up about whatever they're on. I don't care if you're watching your favorite conservative network or your favorite liberal network. The whole idea is, I want to stir you up because I need you to tune back in next time and tune back in over and over and over. I don't know if you remember this, but we had a recession, what was it, about 10 years ago or so? Something like that. See, some of you going, we did? Yeah, see, that's exactly right. And the time being, The media has all stirred up about it. You know, everything's going to be awful, and everything's going to go. And I remember talking to a guy, and he said this. He said, man, we were going to take a vacation this year, but the recession. We can't take a vacation because of the recession. You know why? Because he heard every day, multiple times a day, we're in a recession, we're in a recession. Everything's bad. Everything's awful. Everything's horrible. Everything's this and that. So I said, let me ask you a question. I said, did you lose your job? No. Did your wife lose her job? No. Did your hours get cut back or your wages get cut back? No. So I said, let me get this straight. You're making the same amount of money you were making five years ago. Uh Uh-huh. And you could vacation five years ago. Yes. But you can't vacation now. Correct. Why? Because there's a recession. I said, the only recession is in your head. It's, It's just, there was no mathematical, logical reason why his family couldn't take a vacation except he'd been bombarded with the fact we're in a recession. Nobody can do anything. We're gone under. Interest rates are high. I'm going to let you in on something. My brother bought a home in, in 1988. Do you know what his interest rate was on that loan? 12%. Y'all hear that? 12%. 12%. He bought a variable loan. I thought, oh, Lord have mercy. That's not a good idea. It may go 15 or 18. It didn't. It went down. And in 1988 he told me this, he said, we are saving $100 a month because the interest rate went down. That was, I'd like saving $100 a month today, let alone, you know, 30 some years ago. It's so funny because I think, how do you remember it was 1988? I remember it was 1988 because I just read a little booklet called Why Jesus Must Return in 1988. Hmm. He did write a sequel to it the next year. This is the truth. I'm not making this up. He wrote a sequel next year. It says, Why Jesus Must Return in 1989. He kept writing them. Then one day, the guy, I think he's passed away now. He actually did apologize for all of his uh, predictions about when Jesus would return. So 1988, interest loans on a home were 12%. Now you have people going, oh, the home rates are going up to 5%. I don't know what we're going to do. Now, I know this. I don't like paying $3.50, $60, 94 bucks a gallon for gas. And I tell people this all, I'm not cheap, I'm Scottish, I'm thrifty, I just don't want to, you know, I like paying less. I like the two, three years ago I was paying $1.89. I don't like the fact that I see $3.89 now and think I'm getting a bargain. But there was a time back even when it was, 19, when it was $1.89 that I noticed something about me and I thought, that's crazy. I stopped that like that. I'd drive by and I'd go, well, Goodness gracious, gas was buck sixty-nine yesterday, and it's $1.89 today. That's just all. I'd go The next five miles, I'd just be frustrated about life. You know, and then one day I said, I'm not going to let 20 cents a gallon on gas rule ru- my life. I got a little 12-gallon tank, so what is that, $2.40? You know, I'm not going to let $2.40 ruin my day. So I decided, do I like our gas prices now? I do not. Am I going to go under? I am not. Are you going to go under? You are not. And one day, if the Lord tarries, we'll say, remember that time when gas prices were up and everything was crazy and the congregation will be going, no, I don't really remember that. That's because you're all going to survive it. You're going to make it. Just don't let the news media tell you how horrible it is and how you can't do life because you don't live in that kingdom. You got a different economic system. I get it. You get paid with money, not with heavenly dollar bills, but I'm just telling you, that you live in a different kingdom. So don't worry about that stuff. Don't worry about there is no lack. And most people are all stirred up about all kinds of stuff because they're just listening to the media. I'm not opposed to listening to the media on occasion, but I'm telling you, when the media rules your emotions and it rules your decisions and it rules all that, you need to cut back on the media and and pick up a little bit more on this right here. Because this tells about a system and a kingdom that's different than what this world has. And I get it, we live in this dual life. You know, we live in this dual, we are in this world, the Bible says, but we're not of this world. Do gas prices affect us? Sure they do. Are they going to wreck us? No, they are not, because we're going over in the Lord. So here's this whole chapter, Matthew 6, totally countercultural. Nobody wants to do any of it, until we find out the value of it. If we took time to read the whole chapter, it would begin and say, here's God's plan of success for you. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to give to the needy. And you'd think, why do I need to give to the needy? I mean, I got a lot of stuff I want to get. Because the Bible says, he who lends to the poor, he who gives to the poor lends to the Lord. And the Lord will repay them. Now, I'm not talking about giving your money to the fake needy. But when there's really needy people, help, bless. And you know what? They can't pay you back. So God says, I'll pay you back. God's got really deep pockets. It's amazing how he pays back. The Bible says, if you give a cup of water to a prophet in the name of a prophet, you'll receive the prophet's reward. I gave a cup of water, and I get that, yeah, because God loves blessing people. I just I want you to catch a glimpse in God's kingdom. When God set Adam and Eve up on planet Earth, what was it? Was it a barely-get-by, junky spot? No, it was a garden. And then, when he moved... His children, actually when he moved them first to Egypt, they got to live in the land of Goshen, which was the most prosperous, blessed, fertile land in Egypt. Then the Pharaoh got scared of them. They fell into slavery. God rescues them from slavery and sends them to what the Bible calls the promised land. Land that's flowing with milk and honey. They said, you're going to live in homes you didn't build, enjoy vineyards you didn't plant. You're going to... What, what are we talking about? God's got a chance to place his people again, and he places them in a spacious, blessed place. Now, one day you and I are going to draw our last breath on planet Earth, and I'm sure hoping that you are right with Jesus when you do that, and I hope you're right with him today. And when that happens, the Bible says we're going to stand before the Lord and as believers, he's not going to take all your good deeds and bad deeds and see. I don't know if you're going to make it in or not, Tracy. I just got to weigh this out here. No, Jesus took all my sins, all my iniquities, all my failures. He gave me his righteousness. That's what the Bible teaches. So I will stand before the Lord, and the Lord will say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. You are faithful in a few things and little, and I will give you, guess what, much. I will give you much. So I get to live in a place where streets are gold and and... There's, there's a crop of a harvest every 30 days. I don't know if heaven's really ruled by time, but it talks about there's 12 harvests a year in heaven. A spacious, amazing, incredible place because that's what God does. Jesus says he's going to look at us and he's going to say, oh man. He said, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was in prison and you visited me. He said, I was, I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you called on me. And the righteous will answer to him and say, when did we see you hungry, sick, naked, any of that? And he says, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. Amen. And you know that little poor, sick person that you went and blessed? They can't pay you back, but God took note of it. Whoo, God took note of it. He watched, he, I'm sure he doesn't quite do it like this, just how we picture it. He pulls out his pen and goes, yeah, jot that down. And we get before the Lord, and in our natural, we say, I don't know that I really did anything for God. And God pulls out a scroll that just keeps going and going and going and going because he saw every little prayer you prayed, every nice thing you did, all the good stuff you did, and he rewards you for that. So we look at Matthew 6. Give to the needy. Okay, well, that's countercultural. Engage in the seemingly inactive habit of prayer. Wow. Fast. Who wants to fast? Fast. I don't want to fast. Fast is doing without, doing without food, doing without things. And I will tell you, this is the, I, I'm not joking about this. I'll go on fast every now and then, usually between midnight and 6 a.m. And I will, I will just really, I'll go on fast every now and then. And I am not telling, I bet you nine out of ten times, I say, I'm going to go on a fast. Somebody will call me up and say, can you meet me for lunch today? And I say, you better believe I can. Absolutely. I will be right there. How about we do breakfast and lunch? Uh, it's interesting how that happens. So, to do without. And then it says, don't just personally store up for yourself. Is there anything wrong with having your 401k? Absolutely not. Is there anything wrong with you having a savings account? Absolutely not. But all of your life just being thrown and stored up somewhere? It said, no, don't, make deposits in heaven. Make deposits in heaven, Jesus says. And then he gives us that where we picked up on the story don't worry. I mean, oh my goodness, we look at all these things. Say, that's so countercultural to the world. Some people, even some Christians, wouldn't even know what to do if there wasn't something to worry about. If they didn't have something to worry about, they would worry about that. I have, I've actually had that thought hit me many times. I refuse to accept it. I'm serious. I'll be, I'll be sitting around. Thought will come across. Your yeah, life's pretty good. I say it is. It can't go that way for long. Something bad has to happen. And I say, Where's that in the Bible? It ain't in the Bible. So when you get that little whisper in your ear, things are too good for you. Something's got to go south. You say, No, it does not. It does not. It's not in the Bible. Now, in this world, is there tribulation? Yes, there is. Jesus said, Be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. What's that mean? He's made you an overcomer. So you just say, no, so don't, don't buy into the lies of this world and of the devil. We have a phrase like this, I'm waiting for the second shoe to drop. You know, I know something bad. No, it does not have to happen. Get that out of your head. There's nothing bad that has to happen. I look around on Facebook every now and then, and there's people, I'm serious. If there wasn't something bad going on, they wouldn't know what to post. You know, it's just like, this is horrible, that's awful. This is, and, and when thing, there's a little good stretch, I'll see this on Facebook, n- none of you all, seriously, so you think, is he talking about my Facebook post? Well, I'll look at that and they'll say, well, I knew it couldn't last. And I think, well, there you go. You know, there's, there's a Bible verse and I'm not sure it applies to everything, but sometimes I just wonder right here, there it goes, I knew that would happen. And I think, huh, the Bible says, remember Jesus would say this every now and then to people, may it be done to you as you have believed. I think, well, I want to I believe better. I want to think better. The Bible says, that are words that come out of our mouth. It said, life and death is in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat its fruit. So many years ago I said, so basically that old proverb is true. You're going to eat your words. And I'm fine with that because I want what comes out of my mouth to be good. I want to bless people. I want to speak life. I want to talk good because I'm going to eat those words, and when they come back, "Mm, mm, mm," I want them to be sweet. So make sure the words that come out of your mouth aren't, I knew something bad was going to happen. You ought to just say to yourself, I knew it. Something good was going to happen, and it did. You know, another blessing came my way. So speak good stuff, speak good stuff. So when we look at Matthew 6, there's all these battles we've got to fight through, all these things where we have to change the system that the world lives in and that you and I live in that we are so accustomed to. I'm talking to me too. And we've got to unravel that and live by God's system. Now, it doesn't mean, well, so I'm free, I don't have to go to work tomorrow? No, because we're dual citizens right now. We, we do have a, a foot in the world, and we got one. Now, I don't mean the world sinfully, but I mean we are still here on planet Earth. So there are jobs to do, and grass to cut, and dishes to wash, and things like that. But there's also this whole other kingdom. that I just want you to get excited about embracing. I want you to see the hope and the potential of this other kingdom that you've been called into and planted into, and all the potential in it. And so... One thing I want to say is that prayer, I said the seeming inactivity of prayer, that's been something I've had to struggle with all my life. And because I'll think, I ain't got time to pray. I got too much to do. And you think, well, I'll just pray while I'm doing, which is fine too, but I think there's time, there should be time to set aside to pray and just seek the Lord. And so I've discovered over the years, prayer does two things. One, it sharpens your soul. If you want to, it sharpens and shapes you. If you want to cut more wood, pause to sharpen the axe or sharpen the saw. You'll be more productive. It's a proven fact. It's a proven fact, seriously. You take a crew of people with chainsaws cutting down trees, and they don't stop because they're not going to waste their time spending 20 minutes to sharpen something. The ones who spend the 20 minutes to sharpen, they will cut down more trees at the end of the day because they sharpened their saw. The other thing prayer does is enlist the help of heaven. So it's almost like God says, you can do it on your own if you want to. You don't have to pause to sharpen the axe, sharpen the saw. You don't have to pause to, to call upon heaven. But I'll tell you what, you got a sharp axe and a sharp saw, and you got some helpers there, you're going to get a whole lot more accomplished. So prayer is not inactive. It feels like it sometimes, like I'm just sitting here, like spending time with God, and, and you say, i got stuff to do. Think about this relationally. What would happen if I went home and sat down with my wife for a minute and told Darlene, we're kind of fellowship and say, I don't have time for this. I got stuff to do. I don't want to sit here wasting time talking to you. You think she would like that? You think she'd say, honey, that's so sweet. Thank you for telling me that I'm a waste of your time, you know, sitting here. Because you got stuff to do. Like what? Like go take a motorcycle ride, baby. I mean, I can't be sitting around here talking to you all the time. It'd be like, okay. I'd wake up the next morning and there'd be a motorcycle in a little pile there, you know. So we need to sharpen our saw. So here's our assignment for the week, because everybody loves homework. One person, Julie, likes it. Okay. Read or listen to Matthew 6. Do it multiple times this week. Do it every day if you dare. Now, I don't know why I do this. I, I like to time stuff. I don't know why. It's just I like to time stuff. I can be waiting in a line. I'll hit a little timer. That took me three minutes and 22 seconds. Like, who cares? I, will call. I know about how long every step of the journey is from here to home so I'll be talking to Darlene I say I will see you in six minutes and 20 seconds seriously she'll laugh and I say because it is going to be about six minutes and 20 seconds and so I actually listened to Matthew 6 set a little timer and I let the Bible software program read it to me as I followed along and it takes about four and a half minutes and I did not even do what I mostly do, and that's bump things up to one and a half times. I left it right on its even flow. So it will take you less than five minutes a day if you want to go through Matthew 6 and let it start transforming the way you think about life and about the kingdom. So put that on your to-do list, Matthew 6, and you'll see a whole counter-cultural way of doing life that will be so fulfilling and so rewarding and so wonderful. People say, well, I don't want to serve God. It'd be no fun. I tell you, If anybody's had more fun in life than me, I don't know who they are. I've enjoyed life, have fun, enjoy God. I really do want to glorify him and enjoy him forever, and forever begins now. I want to enjoy him today and tomorrow and the next week, and it's a wonderful, wonderful way to live. So I want to invite you into that.